Welcome to TechTastic, the podcast that explores the cutting-edge world of technology and its impact on society. New breakthroughs and developments are revolutionizing the world around us, presenting exciting opportunities as well as complex challenges. We'll explore the big ideas and key players driving these transformations as we seek to understand the implications of these advancements for our lives, our communities, and our planet. Join us on this journey of discovery and exploration as we navigate the fascinating and ever-evolving world of technology. This is TechTastic. Jim Verquist, welcome to It's TechTastic. It is lovely to have you here. Great to be here. Awesome. So you just mentioned as we were getting ready to start recording that uh, you love the fact that the Bala AI and the podcast are almost at odds with each other and that one of them's focused on the automation of work and the other, the podcast here where everybody's listening, is really focused on the human side of it and how do we all fit into this automated digital world. I love the fact that your podcast is focused on the humanistic side of what's happening in technology because I think it's really important. In an age of technology, ironically, it becomes harder to create an engaged, innovative workforce. You would think it would become easier, but it, it actually is becoming harder. You know, we're applying a lot of our technologies to automation and efficiency and all good things. But I'm really interested in, you know, how do you go into big companies and take the same employees you already have and turn them into innovators? And it turns out that in an age of disruption, <laughs> it's more important than ever. And, and that's kind of what I'm focused on is the fact that right now, everybody assumes that you know, when you're in a company and growth is slowed, growth is stalled, and you need to go out and create the next growth engine. Today, everybody uses innovation teams, but innovation teams don't create the breakthroughs that drive growth. They do a lot of good work, yeah. but they don't create the breakthroughs that drive growth. You know, a lot of sexy projects, but they actually never end up creating the next growth engine. And it turns out that when you look at where the big breakthroughs come from, they come from regular employees who stand up That's and right. say, you know what, this is crazy. There's a better way to do something. So I really like that topic. It's a fantastic topic, and, and you and I have a lot in common, it turns out, like uh, not just on our timing and you know, where we're at in our life and all that kind of fun stuff, but also I took a big break from the entrepreneur journey, and I went into big companies, and I did exactly what you're talking about. And one of my first big breaks was at Nike. They were building out the direct-to-consumer part of their business, which now is Nike. There's almost like nothing else anymore. And what we had to do was fundamentally rethink the business. We're no longer really a factory to store engine, but now we have to get all the way to their door. From a logistics side, it's a fundamentally different thing, but it's also a different business. So I was brought in as an entrepreneur, which is to your point, like, hey, you've got this new team, you're gonna go innovate, go do amazing things. And we did as an independent team, and it was some cool products, and I won some awards in the company, but it didn't fundamentally alter the business until we made a fundamental change to the way that we approached it entirely. Instead of working in isolation, as an innovation team, we started reaching out to the broader company and saying, hey, wherever you are, whatever your role, you've got a problem that needs to be solved and I bet you know how to do it. Come pitch it to everybody. Come pitch it to the whole organization, everybody that's interested and tell us what your idea is. And if it wins, if it's the one we choose to work on, because that's all my team was at that point then, is we're the ones that are gonna implement with you and your team, your idea. Oh my God, everybody wanted to be in it. It was a huge feather in your cap, a great chance for promotion, all those great things like your bonus and all that within a big organization. So all the incentives lined up, it was great. And it fundamentally altered the trajectory of the entire company. 
Um, I don't want to claim that. It was actually my co-founder and Vala's idea. He was the CTO at Nike at the time. He was like, Christian, like, it's wonderful that you guys are creating all these cool things, but like, I've got a thousand people that could tell you a thousand things you should be doing. And probably, you know, a hundred of those are better than yeah. what you are doing. So to your point, absolutely. And this is where a lot of them fall down. Um, oddly, I was also at a joint venture between IBM and Maersk that was largely meant to be a fundamental shift in the company type of initiative. But again, in isolation, away from the rest of the organization. And we tried to connect it up in, and what ended up happening was probably really good, but not necessarily for my pocketbook. Uh, Maersk said, well, that should just be what we're doing. And they absorbed the joint venture and now they're <laughs> off doing that fun thing. So I'm 100% in agreement with you, but it's really, really hard to get that initial trust barrier knocked down in a big organization. There's so many silos, so many areas of like, it doesn't matter why, but like kingdoms have been built and people are really afraid to let down the walls in those kingdoms. And so I'm curious, there's gotta be some like advice you could give on like, how do you get through those? Because you might just be a individual contributor in a role and you have a great idea that's across the wall. How do you start to bridge those? It's a lot to unpack. And it is true that it is a different mindset. And you do need to go into an organization that has the management team with the right type of mindset. You know, there's a lot of management teams that are just, you know, they're theory X type managers where, you know, employees are stupid and lazy and, you know, they have to be poked and prodded to do anything. <laughs> but there are a lot of Never theory Y managers, and especially in the technology industries and a lot yeah. of the more cutting edge industries, they know that a thousand brains is smarter than the smartest brain in the company. And the question is how to unlock that. And I think that's what gets really hard. Now, what you did at Nike is amazing and awesome and a proven model for getting people engaged. But I think it's not enough. And I think there's a few reasons for that. First is the mindset in big companies is we can't possibly let employees work on every single idea that they're excited about. And it turns out that the corporate rebel model is a proven way that that is no longer true. We're no longer in an era of scarcity where you have to kind of pick, you know, the right people or the right projects or the right ideas. With the corporate rebel model, the corporate rebels work in the white space of work. And so you don't have to give them any time because they find their own time. Uh, this isn't Google's 20% time. Google's 20% time was a complete failure for all kinds of reasons, but they, they never produced a single, you know, even a hundred million dollar breakthrough with, with uh, Google 20% time. Corporate rebels have, have created breakthrough I, I, after breakthrough. There's a whole yeah, yeah. other issue there. There's a whole other issue with that. <laughs> uh, and so yeah, there's, that, that's a whole separate thing. What I'm saying is corporate rebels is not 20% time. Corporate rebels are employees who simply say, you know what? I, I can't get other people to see what I see. And it turns out that the breakthroughs are the ones that everybody thinks are crazy until they work. And that's mm. where it gets really tricky is that the further away you get from kind of the core business and the, the prevailing paradigm you're in your industry, the more unlikely it is that any smart group of people in your company, whether they're the innovation team or they're somebody else, are actually going to find the ideas that become the breakthroughs. And so what the corporate rebel model says is, look, if you're so excited about an idea and you're an employee, go work on it. And if it turns into something big, then we can talk. They get no dedicated time. They get no project funding. And this is where a lot of majority of the biggest breakthroughs in big companies have come from. And so I like the fact that you no longer have to, this, this gets us more into how venture capital works. Venture capital, you know, yeah. you don't uh, have entrepreneurs knocking your door and say, hey, do you like this idea? You wait until entrepreneurs actually have revenue and customers and traction. And then they say, okay, now let's talk, right? 
And what we're trying yeah. to do at Engine 2 Innovation is unlock that same kind of innovative ecosystem without any funding, without any permission. And then you get the, the managers get to sit back and say, now, now I see what you're talking about and I'm gonna make some bets on these projects. This sounds really enticing to me. Like when you mentioned the Google 20% time, I was a very firm adopter of it. I was right. like, yes. Like, cause it, it was an easy bookkeeping issue to deal with. And when you're in that spot, you're always looking for that, right? Um, but I found the same issue. Like you didn't really mm -hmm. get anything from it. So we started something that was a lot more akin to a hackathon and we did them fairly regularly. And the idea was like, you've been working on something, maybe you've got, it's part of the way, come in, tell us about it. Like maybe a bunch of people will jump on it and get excited by it too. And you guys can kind of work on it in your own time, figure it out. But when you've got something to really show, bring it in. And that actually worked a lot better, but it was really tough. Like the problem that large companies have besides the silo and the kingdom building piece is the permission piece. Everybody feels like they have to ask permission yes, to do anything. Yes. That, that's that's the hard thing. And so I did three Silicon Valley startups and then I went to big companies and, you know, culture shock, like, oh my God, like how, how different can you be yeah. from a startup? Like, oh, you know, what do we do here? Do I yeah. run back to startup world or do I, you know, it turns out that big companies actually need the most help. And so I, I've kind of spent my career after Silicon Valley focusing on uh, proving that you can go into big companies and make this happen. But it turns out that when you're in kindergarten, like your little kindergartner self, when you wanted to go do something, you didn't ask permission. You just went off and did it. And you fell down 80% of the time. You didn't care. You got right back <laughs> and kept going. By the time we're in sixth grade, like nobody does that anymore, right? You kind of expect that you need to ask permission. Even when the CEO stands up once a year and says, you know, employees are our most valuable asset and we want you to be innovators, uh, nothing right. happens. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of, you know, <laughs> thunderclap of excitement and then everybody goes back and they do the regular thing. And so it turns out that this is bound up in something called the hero's journey. You know, when something hits you and you think, oh my gosh, this is a problem, this is an opportunity that why isn't anybody doing something? We've got to do something here. And then you realize that nobody is going to do it, so it better be me. Most people get stuck in what's called a refusal to call because it's, you know, you don't want to risk your career to do these things normally. <laughs> There's very few true corporate rebels who are willing to risk their career. You know, this is like the Gary Class in a Blackberry who he persevered through bad performance reviews and being hassled <laughs> by his manager. Yeah. And it's like, I believe what I'm doing is right for the company. And so if you want to fire me, go ahead. But until then, I'm going to keep going. And then he creates, you know, the billion dollar breakthrough became BlackBerry Messenger Service, BBM. There's not a lot of people like that. Not more than one in a thousand employees are like that. So how do you go into a big company and get 10 to 20% of your employees doing that? Well, you've got to bring in a catalyst whose only role in the company is to actually be a dedicated support for employees. And essentially, they give them permission. If your manager gives you permission, you're assuming that you're going to get some time to work on your project or maybe get some funding. If some things go wrong, your manager is going to, you know, they're partly responsible because they said yes. You need to completely get out of that kind of corporate hierarchy and into this fully separate operating environment where, okay, on our regular official duties, we do what the manager says. But in our unofficial white space, which is, it turns out about 20% of time at work is white space, where we can actually free up time if we really want to, to do something more exciting. Then it operates by a different set of rules, but you need a catalyst to kind of get people going. And when you've got a catalyst, it's amazing that you can get people to do, just like when a, a regular employees leave Big Corp and go to startups and suddenly they're innovators. And it was like, wow, I didn't see that coming. Well, yeah, they're human beings. Of course they are you need to have the right context. And so that's the key. You can't just tell people to be innovators. The managers can't do it because of all the hierarchy and, <laughs> you know, they do the performance yeah. reviews and all these complicated reasons. 
you need somebody outside the hierarchy that is basically the dedicated support for employees who want to be innovators, and that unlocks everything. Your point about the managers can't do it, it's mostly about a scalability of human performance and trying to find an average and like look for the outliers. And so you put in place systems to kind of manage that. And so when anybody comes to you and says, hey, your team needs to like innovate more, you're like, okay, which box do I put that in? Because you know that's what you are trained as a manager to do. And your point about the catalyst piece um, is really, really true. I was just thinking through so many stories in my past of an individual that showed that. They, um, <laughs> Deutschen, if you're listening, I'm gonna talk about your story. <laughs> I was at a company that actually kind of had the opposite problem. Everybody could go create their own division if they wanted to and hire as many people as they wanted to. It was a company experiencing such explosive growth that the guardrails had completely come off. And one individual sat down and said, okay, well, if we're going to operate in this world, there's a different problem we have to solve for, which is all these things have to work together. And we've got to create a way to make that easy for them so that the barrier to entry is so low and the value is so high that it's mm -hmm. the default path. And so he did in his own free time. And then he'd come up and present in front of us and show us what was happening, which got people excited by it and all that. Uh, he was a great catalyst for change just by talking about like what he was doing and what he was seeing happening. It was just through action. He was the hero demonstrating it in his journey, like how you can do this. And there have been a lot of those in my past that I look back on and go, yeah, that's, that's exactly what they were. But they often don't stick around long because the culture of, of an organization for that individual could feel very claustrophobic. It could feel almost like a prison because they see all the possibilities and how to do it. And if they don't see the enough uh, body of people around them doing it, they leave because they're going to go find some greener pasture where there's more of that. And so your point about the catalyst, oh my God, yes. But the next part of that has to be ensuring that that catalyst has around them enough similar yes. activity, I would think. like a, Yes, people, that, that's the right? key. Uh, so. One of the key models of innovation and technology adoption is it's called the law of diffusion of innovations. And so it's how technologies or new ideas get adopted. And it turns out that when you go in and you try to bring something new to people, there's these 2.5% of they're called innovators. They're the people that are like, oh my God, where have you been the last five years? I've been waiting for this. This is exactly what I need. I don't care if it's flawed. I, I know I'm going to get all kinds of slivers and scabs by using this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Right. And then the next group are called early adopters. They're not going to get going going until they see the innovators not only doing this, but being successful. And so what happens is that because there's not enough of this activity in most companies, it just peters out. You can't have one or two people in a 2000 person organization doing it. It's, uh, it's an anomaly. It's, it's not a practice. It's not, a, it's not part of the culture, right? And so what ends up happening is the way the catalyst works is they get people through this kind of adoption curve, right? Once everybody knows that I'm not gonna get fired, like I don't have to be the catalyst that actually literally risked their career. They didn't have to do what Gary Klassen did at BlackBerry to become an innovator. Now it's like, okay, now that I know I'm not gonna get fired, as long as I play by the rules, as long as I don't let interfere with my official duties and I don't create risk, I can work on any big idea that I want to for the company. Uh, and I've got somebody that's kind of almost gave me permission, even though they don't really, you know, it's, not, it's not really their role, but they said, you know, if anybody can do it, you can, <laughs> you know, find the smallest little thing you can do and do it and get going. What happens is you need a momentum of people. And so the way that our model works at Engine 2 Innovation is that we bring in the catalyst because you need somebody that has actually done these projects before. You need to protect the company from itself and not try to improve on the corporate rebel model. Like this is a model that's been around, I think since the time of the Pharaohs, like, you know, anytime there's been people that didn't have power and they wanted to do something and they did it anyway, these are kind of the corporate rebel model. 
And so we bring in the catalyst, but the goal is, is once you get five, 10, 20% of your employees doing this, it becomes so much a part of the culture that it happens automatically. It becomes a self-sustaining capability. If the catalyst leaves, that's no big deal. In fact, our model is that we do leave, you know, within 12 months, we're gone because it's a self-sustaining capability. Now there's plenty of catalysts. A catalyst is kind of the, almost like the Indiana Jones type character, the Obi-Wan Kenobi type character that is always ready to take action, <laughs> always there to coach the next person that wants to do this thing. And once you've done it, you don't need any permission anymore. Like once you're a corporate rebel, you never ask permission again in your entire career. <laughs> and so that's, yeah. that's how it works. You need a certain amount of momentum to keep it going. Otherwise it'll peter out. You just described most <laughs> of my career. And it goes back to something I've said before to other people, uh, anybody who's thinking about going the entrepreneurial route, they, they want to start a business, they've got an idea that they believe very strongly in or that there's something that they, they want to go solve in the world. The first question I always ask them is, would you bet on yourself? Because if the answer is yes, then mm -hmm. why aren't you? For me, that's the fear of losing your job kind of situations. Like I'm going to do this because it's the right thing. I'm betting on my ability to deliver it. And worst case scenario, they fire me. I can go get another job mm -hmm. in five minutes because I'm going to go create it. I'm not going to ask somebody for a job. I'm going to go create my job because I believe so strongly in this thing. But the reality is a lot of people live in a state of fear or they, they work from a place of fear. And some organizations, the culture just doesn't fit. So this isn't a perfect fit everywhere, right? Like the corporate rebel model won't work in a high fear environment because even a catalyst coming in and showing that there's a safe space is gonna have a very hard time getting people past that. I'm gonna lose my job if I don't do exactly what I'm told. Well, corporate rebels work in every type of environment. Uh, you know, like I, I'm a corporate rebel. This is how I kind of worked out this model was, you know, the first time I did one of these projects was in the U.S. Marine Corps. And U.S. Marine Corps is, you know, it's hard to imagine more top-down hierarchical, do what you're told, yeah, no only kidding. what you're told organization in the entire world. So yeah, one of my quips is that, you know, if you can do it in the U.S. Marine Corps, you can do it anywhere. Um, I think that's true. <laughs> and I was like the lowest ranking person in the entire department. So it's not like I was uh, a colonel or something like that, <laughs> like, you know, being an innovator. And so, it does work in every organization and people do do these things, but you're right. You know, you're not going to get a momentum and a whole kind of volunteer army of innovators in your company. If managers are actively instilling fear and, you know, threatening to fire people and things like that, there are people kind of like me, like Gary Klassen that are saying, I'd rather be fired than not do the right thing than just sit by and watch a slow motion train wreck or watch this opportunity just pass us by. There's very few people like that. And so that's why we focus on, you need a company that has theory Y managers that basically think that maybe human beings are not stupid and lazy and just want to get the maximum pay for the least amount of work. Maybe actually we want to go out and make a difference in the world. Maybe that is what makes us human. And we all have that. I, I don't know what you're going to get excited about. I mean, even our own kids, like we can't like find their passion. They have to find it themselves, right? The same thing with managers Absolutely. with employees, this idea that managers need to be responsible for kind of sparking the passion employees. No, they need to figure out what's going to make them passionate, excited. And once you get that going, and if the managers understand the rules of the game, and that's kind of what we go on and say, this is how corporate roles work. It's actually very easy. If you're a manager and you see one of these projects going on, like just ignore it unless you like it. And then you can support it. Like that's your only rules, either ignore it or support it. But, you know, threatening people and firing people and giving bad performance reviews, that, that's out of bounds, right? <laughs> It's not a big shift because the managers don't have to change anything. They don't have to suddenly become these very humanistic people. They simply have to stop threatening people and firing people when the only big crime of the employees is simply having an idea that the manager doesn't like. I think most managers know that they don't see everything, but they have this flaw that they seem to think that I, at least I know what bad ideas look like. 
And it turns out when you look at the history of innovation, that's completely not true. That is 100% right. not true, right? And so, you know, employees are not going to work on things that they're not trying to get themselves fired. They're not going to work on idiotic things. You're not going to try to launch a McDonald's franchise when you're working at IBM, right? You know that stuff is never going to become an official project. The goal of a corporate rebel is always to take this idea that nobody in the company understands and get it far enough along to where other people can understand it. And it can eventually become an official project and maybe go somewhere. Jim, that was fantastic. And I'm going to leave that as a great place for us to end. If the audience wants to find out more, they want to contact you or they want to engage with your company, where would they go? My name is the easiest place to find me, Jim Verquist. But the company is Engine2 Innovation. It's the numeral two. So the website is engine2.us. Otherwise, I'm on LinkedIn and all the other places. Easy to find. And that's a wrap for this episode of TechTastic. I want to thank you personally for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Until then, keep exploring and stay curious. Hey there, TechTastians. Is your team drowning in tech debt and you just wish you had a magic button to fix it? I want to introduce you to Vala AI, your tech debt hero. At Vala AI, we get it. You're busy. That's why we've made fixing tech challenges as easy as a click of a button. You don't need to be an engineer. We empower non-techies to conquer complex tech issues effortlessly. We understand you don't have time for tech headaches. Vala AI is here to lift that tech burden, making your tech debt disappear with a simple click. So ready to say goodbye to tech troubles? Try Vala AI. Your solutions are just a click away.